0: Chapter Number 39 of The Border Bandits This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shishang Jachmola The Border Bandits by J.W. Buell Passam's Confession of the Glendale Robbery The robbery of the Chicago and Alton train at Glendale, Missouri, as already described, has been surrounded with considerable mystery concerning the identity of all those engaged in the outrage. The large rewards offered for the apprehension of the robber band, amounting to $75,000, caused a very active search, which resulted, at last, in the capture of Daniel, better known as Tucker, Bassam, under circumstances already related on page 99. The writer visited Bassam at the county jail in Kansas City in October 1880 for the purpose of interviewing him with the hope of obtaining some interesting facts concerning the robbery, but though he had made a written confession, he refused to talk on the subject, saying that he had already told too much for his own good. On the 6th day of November, Bassam was brought into court for trial, having entered a plea of not guilty, despite his confession. But this plea was changed to that of guilty, and he then threw himself upon the mercy of the court. The following summary of his confession appeared in the Kansas City Journal of November 7th. On Monday night preceding the robbery, said Bassem in his confession, two neighbors of mine came to me and said they had put up a job to rob a train and wanted me to go in with them. I told them I didn't want nothing to do with robbing no train and wouldn't have nothing to do with it no how. But they kept on persuading, and finally went away saying they would come back in the morning and that I must go with them. They said a very rich train was coming down on the CNA and that we could make a big haul, perhaps hundred thousand dollars. Well, that kinda half persuaded me, but still, I didn't like to go. They finally told me that Jesse James was arranging the thing and that it was sure to be a success. Well, then they left. My wife kept pestering me to know what was going on and what they wanted, but I didn't like to let on. I kept thinking about it all night. Of course I'd heard often of Jesse James and kinder had confidence in him. Then I was pretty poor. There wasn't much crops on my place, and winter coming on, and I tell you it looked pretty nice to get a little money just then, no matter where it come from. Besides, I thought to myself, if I don't go it'll be done just the same anyhow. They'll be down on me and ten to one i'll be more likely to get arrested if i ain't there as if i am well i kept kind of thinking it over and in the morning they came to the house early and ate breakfast and then went out and loafed around in the timber and in the cornfield all day so nobody wouldn't see him in the evening they all come in and we eat supper and then they give me a pistol and we all got on our horses and rode off together we soon met another man on the road and when we got to Seaver's schoolhouse, about a mile and a half away from my house, they give a kind of a whistle for a signal, and two men came out of timber and rode up. I was introduced to one of them as Jesse James. This was first time I had ever seen Jesse James in my life. And who was the other? demanded the persecutor. The other was Ed Miller, of Clay County. Bassam said that Jesse James then gave him a shotgun and furnished each man with a mask and that they all then rode on in silence toward Glendale. No instructions were given to any one man. When they arrived at Glendale, they noticed the light in the store and Bassam was ordered by Jesse James to go in, capture the inmates and bring them over to the station. On looking in the windows, he found the usual crowd of loiterers had left the store and lounged over to the depot to wait for the train to come in. He then went on over to the depot and found the crowd in the waiting room guarded by one of the men. Jesse James then told him to walk up and down the platform as the train approached and fire off his shotgun in the air as fast as he could. The telegraph operator was forced, at the point of the pistol, to lower the green light and thus signal the train to stop. Jesse James then asked him if there were any loose ties there that they could lay across the track and he said he didn't know of any. The men then went and got logs and laid them across the track to obstruct the train if it should take the alarm and not stop for the green light. Meanwhile, the train approached. Bassam walked up and down the platform, firing off his gun. Jesse James and one of the men jumped into the express car, and Miller jumped on the engine in the manner already described and with which all are familiar. The train was not stopped for more than five or six minutes. As soon as it was over, Jesse James fired off his pistol, which was the signal for all to leave, and they jumped on their horses and rode rapidly for about half a mile till they came to a deserted log cabin. Here they alighted and entered. Somebody produced a small pocket lantern and somebody else struck a match. Jesse James threw the booty down on a rude table in the middle of the compartment, divided it out and shoved each man a pile as they stood round the table. Bassam's share was between $800 and $900. Jesse then said, Now each one of you fellows go home and stay there. Go to work in the morning and keep your mouths shut, and nobody will ever be the wiser. This country will be full of men in the morning, hunting for me and you. It will be observed that in the confession, as reported, only the names of Jesse James and Ed Miller appear, when it is now positively known that the gang comprised not less than six persons. The confession implicated two of the most respectable farmers in Jackson County, Kit Rose and Dick Daly, one a brother-in-law, and the other a cousin of the younger brothers, both of whom were arrested but soon afterwards released, as not a scintilla of evidence could be discovered corroborating Bassam's disjointed statements. The other party, who Bassam swears, was connected with the robbery, and in this, he certainly guessed rightly, was Jim Cummings, who shot George Shepard in the affair at Short Creek. In November last, 1880, Bassam was brought into court with a plea of not guilty. Notwithstanding his confession, but he had so completely convicted himself that the plea was withdrawn and he threw himself upon the mercy of the court. He was then sentenced to the penitentiary for a period of 10 years. Since his confinement at Jefferson City, there has been a considerable change of opinion respecting his guilt and there is no doubt but that now a large majority of persons believe Bassum's innocent of any complicity with the train robbery and that his so-called confession was the result of influences which the writer does not wish to assume the responsibility of naming end of chapter number 39